Jen, I feel like we haven't talked in a while. I, we recorded like 800 episodes, it felt like, all at once, but... Back to back to back to back with all sorts of guests. Yeah, but it's so, been a while since it's I been know. just the two of us. It's nice to hear your voice, friend. How you doing? Um, I have good days and bad days, but... Yeah, it's day 41 over here. Oh, man. I know. And I feel like I, I appreciate that everybody's probably like, Sarah, stop telling us what day it is, but no. <laughs> if I have to know what day it is, you have to know what day it is. I um have been thinking a lot about archiving. Um, I'm doing a project with my students about it's like, how do we remember these things, right? Like written yeah. letters and diaries. And yeah, yeah. I keep thinking, you know, you keep telling us what day it is because this is going to be a big part of my personal archive. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but actually, I feel like this week, um, it's like the whole world turned back on in some way. I don't know if you're feeling this way, but I feel like for the first, I don't know, whatever, six weeks, it felt like everybody was in a holding pattern and maybe mm-hmm. in a little bit of like panic, anxiety, frozen state. But now this week, it feels like a lot of people have sort of said, oh, I guess this is life now, so let's get back to work. Um, And I feel like a lot of things, like, dropped onto my plate this week that, you know, might have come slightly earlier, if not for this. So, I mean, which is good. I'm glad to be busy. But I'm still running a school out of my house. So, yeah, me too. But, ooh. Well, well, you're also a teacher, so you're literally running a school out of <laughs> yeah, your house. <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. I, <clears throat> I'm yeah, it's a lot of work, and I'm happy to do it. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Teachers should make a million dollars. Is my new <sighs> mantra. <laughs> Yeah, my new theory. Yeah, there's an amazing tweet where it was like a woman who I think she was an an epidemiologist in Spain. And someone's like, what's going to happen? Like, when are people going to find the cure? And she was like, well, why don't you ask these football players you pay $30 million a year to? I I bet they have the answer. And I just was like, yeah. like That's nice. Nice work, lady. (laughs) We're for it. It was really well done. I was like, chef's kiss. It just feels like all the people who are important right now are all the people who are nobody is listening to. And the, I mean, welcome to America, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It seems like people are listening to the right people in Europe. So well done, Europeans. If you, for, Shout out to our European listeners who seem yeah. to be finally getting it together. Um, let May Europe lead the way, I guess, yeah. is what I have to say about that. Um, but... We read some weird books this week. <laughs> they were, they were, it's like you say weird, I say profoundly formative, deep in my soul. So, fine. Look, super formative to me. So, okay, I have to, can I, can I go? I have yeah, something to say. Tell us, yeah. So, the last, last week when we did Victoria Doll, we thought, we said, okay, what should we read next? And my mom had told this funny, had said this funny thing to me, which was, um, I've read a book by this author that I've never read before. I think her name is Sandra Brown. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, mom, I've heard of her. I feel like it would be like if I like texted my brother, Eric, and I was like, hey, I've heard of this mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Like he works in local government. He like goes to the National Conference of Mayors every year. He'd have been like, you fucking idiot. (laughs) I know. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, did you ever hear of this football player? Like Tom Brady, I think his name is. Yeah, we've heard of him. Anyway, so she's reading Sandra's, Sandra Brown's thrillers or read one of them. And then of course my, I think I've said this before, but my mom's a Hemingway scholar and always like whenever she finds a book, that's like a thriller that she reads, she always calls it like, Oh, I read this garbage book, (laughs) but she read it in like an hour and really enjoyed herself. So what's wrong with that mom? Nothing. The answer is nothing. Nothing is wrong with that mom. (laughs) Get over your guilt, your literary guilt. Anyway, all of this is to say that it felt cosmic in some way that we choose to read Sandra Brown after this. And my book, whenever I think of Sandra Brown, I think of two books. I think of one old category um, that she wrote under the name Erin St. Clair, which was like early days uh, for Silhouette Intimate Moments. And I think about the Texas Exclamation Point series. (laughs) The original Sexclamation Points. The original Sexclamation Points. (laughs) You guys, when we say Texas exclamation point, we aren't, this is not, um, this is not us elaborating. This is not us dramatizing. Literally the titles of these books are Texas exclamation point name. (laughs) Eric looked at the cover of Texas Chase and was like, is this, what's happening in this title? (laughs) And seriously, part of me is like, why don't we use punctuation in titles more? <laughs> well, I also found myself going down the path of like, what other states would like use which <laughs> punctuation marks, right? <laughs> which everybody would be like, Ohio question mark, <laughs> right? Or like, like New York period. New York, York, period. (laughs) Florida is like 800 exclamation points. Like Florida is like, I just, one wasn't enough. I needed 83. Uh, Yes. And then like Massachusetts is definitely all about the fucking semicolon. (laughs) So yeah, that's, I also found myself going down that primrose path. Yeah, I'm Honest to God, I'm confused by the marketing meeting that came up with an exclamation point, Texas exclamation point, but at the same time, sort of delighted by it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm for it. Um, But I still don't 100% understand why, except that these books are real Texas-y. Yeah. Well, you know, I lived in Texas for two years. a lot of other books. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she just got to it first. Everyone else like, God damn it. That was such a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) But now I wonder, like, should should we think about, like, Duke, exclamation point, John. Yeah. You know, I don't think I don't think Benjamin Dreyer would approve. So we're not gonna have to. <laughs> Benjamin Dreyer's like no more M dashes. Oh my god! The other day we had a conversation in my house about the M dash, and mm-hmm. my husband's like, "Wait, there's a punctuation mark called an M dash," and I was like, "Why? Yes, there is." <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you're finally with us, Mister Romance reads romance. <laughs> I mean, he was just like, "Oh, oh, Jennifer." <laughs> Did you say there's also an N dash? Yeah. And was he like, did he, had he heard of that one too? No. He was just like, he's like, these are dumb names for punctuation. Yes. I'm going to call this a dash. Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm going to be really honest with you. I mostly just call them dashes myself. So it's fine. Exactly. Okay. So Texas exclamation point. 
is a contemporary romance novel, but it feels real historical when you read it in 2020. I wait, I have a question. Yeah. I'm sorry, because here's yeah. we are. At what point do you think, like, name the year where contemporary romances, when you read them, feel like historicals? I don't know. Because I would have said, okay, when I think of this book, in my head, <laughs> when I think of this book, it's contemporary. Like, yeah. maybe they use a phone, they use a payphone or whatever, but, like, it's contemporary. <laughs> and these are, like, and then you read it. people who live in the world. And then, like, in my eyeballs, <laughs> this yeah. book is not contemporary in any way. And now I'm, like, I know that we're reading, we're reading Kingdom of Dreams, which is a McNaught. But, you know, my other favorite old school contemporary is Judith McNaught's Perfect, which I'm sure probably feels real dated, too. I mean, we're basically reading... It's like being an anthropologist reading these books in a lot of different ways. Yes, absolutely. Because my mom sold, when I was growing up, my parents had um, like a small house, a small cabin in New Hampshire. And my mom, and they bought it when I was like in middle school. And so, and there was no internet or television there. And so all I had was just like boxes and boxes of romances, like stored in a closet there. And she sold the house last year um, after my dad died and was basically like, Sarah, I need you to come and like go through all your stuff. And so I went up and I found this big box of romance novels. Um, and in it, it was like a treasure trove. Oh my of God. Like How are you not still my there? middle school years? Like it was this remarkable middle school experience. And in this box was that Rana look, mm. which is um, also, a, which is a love swept book. Um, and Sandra Brown is on the cover. She is the <laughs> cover model. Um, we will put pictures. We will put this, my exact cover of that Rana look. In show notes, so don't miss it. Maybe we could put it also as the um yeah, sure the, the image. Like, image on on the podcast. So maybe you're seeing it right now. But fun fact, it's Sandra Brown as the heroine and McLean Stevenson from MASH as the hero on that book. And this I talked about this online, but it feels like we need to bring back this celebrities as romance novel covers, <laughs> cover models, things. So you know, Tom Hardy. As Sarah McLean's new hero. I am for it. Or old hero or every hero. <laughs> so anyway, so I had that. And then I found this one, which if you had truly, if you had put a gun to my head and said, like, what was the name of that uh, Western that you loved when you were in middle school? I would have told you it was Catherine Coulter, but it's not. <laughs> it was Sandra Brown, Another Dawn. And this book is the other, this is the second choice. So you and I both read Texas Chase. Yes. And then you and I both read Outside of Texas Chase for prepping for this episode. Because sure. nothing is available in E. None of these early books are available in so, E. Some of them actually are. So I actually, I have a bunch as well. Um, I I reread Sonny Chandler's Return, which was the love swept. Mm-hmm. I loved. And in fact, when I reread parts of it, entire sentences, I was like, oh. Came flooding back. Yes, uh, absolutely. Did you also discover the part, did you also discover, like, some of your latent kink in these books? Because <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, that's where that comes from. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to go with yes. And the other one I read, I didn't actually read it all, was a book I remember being really like a um, like a departure from her, from Category Romance, which was like a big contemporary romance called mm-hmm. Slow Heat in Heaven. And I borrowed it from the library, and I read enough of it to be like, wow, some really amazing stuff. Like... <laughs> By amazing, we mean amazing. <laughs> you guys are not gonna fucking believe it. Amazing. Have you, got, have you seen that guy on TikTok? I think his name's like something Jeff, and he does these really, really funny TikToks. And everyone starts with him being like, "Oh wow, oh wow." <laughs> no, just, I haven't. Um, there. Uh, yes, you have. It's a guy who. T- okay, I'll put some in show notes. He is. Brilliant and amazing and also very handsome and funny. So he's like the total package. But every time it starts with, oh, wow. <laughs> and that was me all of this week rereading. Well, so I, here's the thing about Sandra Brown. We, I think we need to do some history. Yes. Every, welcome class. It's time for history, <laughs> romance history with Sarah. Okay. So here's some fun facts about Sandra Brown. She's been around since the beginning. Um, I mean, obviously, she wasn't one of the early Avon ladies, like, in the 70s, but she was in the first class of Harlequins in America in 1981. Vivian Stevens acquired her for Harlequin. She wrote alongside Jane Ann Kruntz, Sandra Kitt, Barbara Delinsky, that first class of Harlequins. Um, So she, when you talk about, like, the women who created the American category romance— Sandra Brown is is one of those women. Like she wrote Harlequin number one. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say love swept number one. Love she wrote them. love swept number one. She was she wrote Candlelight Ecstasy under the name Rachel Ryan. But she must have written Harlequins too. I mean, she was in that first class, so I don't know which what number she did, but she did one of the first five, I think. Maybe not. But I mean, I know she was in that first class. So the. Um, We'll put so we'll put all yeah, this stuff in, but like Steve, these are very these books yes. are hard to find um, for lots of different reasons, but like largely because romance gets lost to the ages. But Steve Amendown has them all, um, and he promised us he'd do a thread on Sandra eventually. Um, yeah. So the um, so anyway, she was in these early she was in these early early classes. Um, and then she, uh, was one, then she moved into these big cat, what, you know, single title romances. So like the big thick mm-hmm. contemporaries, like the Texas exclamation points series. Um, and like these, and these historicals, these, so Texas exclamation point was 1991. This chase book, right? Yeah. the, was that a standalone or was that a Harlequin? Was it originally like a Harlequin Desire or something? No, Double Day Edition. Double huh. Day. February 1991. And then it was also a Bantam book because at some point it was a book club pick. Must have been yeah. in April of 19, or in August of 1991. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, this is back in the day when there was like book clubs were massive. Like, you could sell. 250,000 copies of your mass market print in Walden Books and then sell another 500,000 copies through the book clubs. Wow. Like the little print book clubs that you would get. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember those, but you would get the, they, you just get the magazine in the mail and then you'd mm-hmm. buy your books. But I read, but between, I mean, this, this woman also like, she is so prolific. 
Oh, yeah. Because before she was writing these categories, so she wrote categories, and then before, then she wrote these single title contemporaries, and in the middle, she wrote these westerns in, like, the mid-80s. This is 1985. Well, and the, I really read her Love Sweeps, like, a lot of her Love Sweeps. She was, like, one of those, I think I probably had, at some point, the little Love Swept like you, they came every month to your house in a box. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I paid for those. <laughs> like looking back, I'm like, was my mother writing checks to love yeah, no, swept my, for me? My sister was a love swept, yeah, subscriber. And Sunny Chandler's Return was 1985, and so a lot of those books, like sort of, and th- that would have been like sort of early high school for me. So a lot of her. Like, so for me, like, yes, like, super formative that I would, like, she was definitely one of my favorite authors, like, with Elizabeth Lowell, and I had kept a couple of them, and then also had the experience of, like, the one I really remember reading first was this Candlelight Ecstasy called Love's Encore. I think it was her first book, actually, and she, like, these couple gets together, and they're, um, like, have a one-night stand, essentially, at a uh, like a ski resort. And then she, like, the woman takes off. She can't believe she did it. And then she's hired to, like, I, what I remember is hire this man's house, decorate this man's house. And she, and then I was rereading it and I was like, oh, it's a plantation. So one of the things that we should talk about is just like before we get going on is like these books are really time capsules of the 80s, but also are going to contain for like many modern readers, like problematic content. A lot of it. A lot of it because it was the 80s and people just did whatever they wanted, right? Like she wrote books with sheiks and Native American heroes and... And those books were like... Those were books that sold. Like, there was, like, a large group of people. Like, a lot of people wrote books with sheiks. Still do. A lot of books people wrote books with Native heroes. Like, yeah, still do. And, like, and there was this real sense of the exoticism of the hero mm-hmm. was uh, this is this is uh, the time of it. The sort of late 80s, early 90s. This is when those heroes were really, like, put on the page. And, I mean, there were definitely... I did not read... I did not read anything with a chic or a native hero, but there were definitely moments in both books where I, like, gasped aloud. In the sense that, like, the the content was so normal for me in the 1990s, like, when I read them for the first time, that I never noticed. And then now, in 2020, like, through the lens of 30 years, I'm... So much clearer. Like it's, it's sort of sh- it's shocking. Um, so, but the books exist. So that time capsule idea is really important. But also, I think what Jen is saying um, is, or what we're saying is, like, you know, be cautious about wading into these old books. Sure, enter with caution. And you know, I'm sure she's changed as a writer. I don't typically follow writers in, down into the um roman- like once they leave romance and go straight to suspense. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I can name 10 authors I used to love who have ended up there. I don't really follow them there, so I don't I can't speak to her like current work, but you know, authors evolve. I'm I'm sh- you know, I I don't 
I think it's, you know, these, these books existed. And I think the best way, I, the reason I like brought up archiving at the beginning was, you know, you found that box of books. It's your own personal archive, but this is like romance's archive. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting to me, like we can like name those problematic elements, but I also think it's really interesting. Part of the reason when we kind of conceived season two was where did romance start and how can we trace back where we are now to that, to those plots and those books? And there were things that I feel like, you know, I read and reread this week in some of these Sandra Brown books that I was like, I see how this has evolved to being something different now. Mm-hmm. But it's like the roots of it. These are the roots of it. And so, you know, that's like the light in which we're reading it. If we love these books, it's not that we... I mean, I still loved reading these books. I still yeah. had a great time rereading them. Well, because there's the gasp is one thing, but like on top of there, I also gasped aloud at others, like at stuff yes. that is not problematic, but it or like it's problematic, but in like different ways. Like, it's, yeah, like in ways that like I would never. You know, I always come at these old books with as a write, with a writer's eye. I can't help it. And there are moments where it's like, holy shit, I can't believe she did that. Mm-hmm. And you would ne- like as a writer now in 2020, you just would never you would never take that finger. So to She's speak. like taking the finger, the hand, the arm, yeah, the elbow, exactly. and the shoulder. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, um, she did. She wrote Harlequin American Romance number one. It's called there Tomorrow's it Promise. And I fully remember this cover. It has the White House. No, it has the Capitol on it and a burning helicopter. Oh, yeah. I remember that for sure. Oh, he's a congressman, a powerful, dynamic politician on his way to the top. Yeah. (laughs) I mean. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Keely Preston never forgot her husband, even though he was listed as MIA for 12 years, half a world away. Guess what happens, Jen? You know I'm obsessed with us doing a Vietnam heroes era, like, right? And I feel like this is why, right? I think that's all. Oh, it's fascinating. The stuff is so... Oh, boy. Also, I would say, and I think this is maybe how we can dive into Texas Chase, really fascinating as a bit of a... Like, boy, we've come so far as, like, women, like, really the role of women in society. Yeah. And then you look back at some of these old categories and you think, oh, shit, there it was 40 years ago. Yep. So I think that's what's really interesting to me. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's dive in. So Texas exclamation point. Texas Chase is the second one in the series. We've met Lucky before. Texas exclamation point Lucky. But I don't remember that book. Jennifer Porter reread it this week because she knew we were doing this one. And she was like, I think it's like a virgin, uh, uh, a virgin divorcee or some shit like that. So nice. we'll, we'll, we'll link to it in show notes. A plus. Thanks, Jennifer, for doing the hard work for us. <laughs> but Jennifer's favorite is Texas exclamation point Sage. Yeah. Uh, which is book three. And Sage, I remember, okay, so Sage is their younger, scrappy sister who goes to the University of Texas of Texas at Austin and is, like, cool and, like, yeah. wears, wears sweater dresses. And she... <laughs> I just snorted. I just snorted. Oh, my God. Wears sweater dresses. I mean, she is Ta-da. cool. <laughs> And I remember so, okay, you guys, 
guys, rereading this, it was like being 12 again or like being 14 again. And like sitting, I could remember like sitting in my like angsty childhood bedroom, reading these books and like dreaming of being as cool as Texas exclamation point sage, which is the purple one. This one was blue when I grew up. Ugh. When I was growing up, I have an I have a new cover of this though. Uh, you have the same one, but there was one, and it yeah. was blue, and it had like swirly writing. You know, it was when Sandra Brown was. I'm gonna dive into the Google image search hard, hardcore. It's gonna be time. great. Don't miss show notes this week. Um, okay, so go on. I'm sorry. No, no. So tell me though, why is this the one? Because that... oh, I picked it. Yes, you picked okay, it. Okay, you know why? Because the plot is truly bananas. Truly, like, when I think about old romances with bananas plots, this one is the contemporary. This one and Judith McNaught's perfect. It should come as no surprise, you guys. Like, this is pure id for me. Like, these, like, these stories that are just wacky. And the story, so I'm going to, I'll just loosely recount the plot of Texas exclamation point Chase. Which is Chase... Uh, Tyler, this is the Tyler shipping or the Tyler oil. What are they? What do they do? Drilling? Tyler drilling. They're the Tyler oil company. And this week, oil futures, oil futures went into like the like negative territory this week. And I literally reread it and was like, oh, I wonder how the Tylers are doing. Cause that's how I fucking am. Everybody. Guess what? They're not doing great because they weren't doing great in the first round. What I love about. So, all right, we're going to talk a lot about how Sandra Brown breaks rules. Rule breaking just fully is like, fuck your rules. I don't want them. Um, she and we t- I talk all the time about how heroes have to be kings, right? Now, yeah. look, the Tyler boys are kings, but Chase is really not kingly, right? No, their business is in the toilet, they have no money. Um, and so when the book begins, they have no money, but they're like upstarts and they have their boys with dreams. Yes. (laughs) And like they've been, their father died and they've inherited this like company, the legacy of their father, and they feel very committed to it. And so Lucky and Chase run this drilling company and Lucky is happily married to his beautiful wife, um, from book one and Chase is happily married to his beautiful wife from book two. And you're like, okay, his beautiful wife is pregnant. It's all great. Fine. Our heroine, Marcy is a realtor and she is showing his wife, um, a house. They need to buy a house because she's pregnant and they need a house big enough to have a child. And Chase is like, well, money's tight, but I want you to have what I love you and I want you to have what you what you want. He loves her desperately. There is a car accident on page four. <laughs> and Marcy and Mar- Marcy is driving. The car is T-boned by a kid who blows a red light. And um, the very tragically, the wife and child, Chase's wife and child die. This is literally boom. Yeah, yeah. Page four. I'm not spoiling anything yet. Skip forward a year. No, two years. Yeah, a year and a half or two. Yeah. And Marcy is like a hot shot realtor now. Marcy's nickname is Goosey. I have no idea why. That's never explained. No, but like, they're just kids are mean. They all went to high school together. Oh, Marcy always thought. Chase was super cute and had a little bit of a crush on her. It wasn't just high school. It was literally school. Like, this is some tiny town. Well, they tiny were town. in kindergarten together. Yeah, very Friday Night Lights feel. 
Yeah. So, um, Marcy, but now Marcy's like a hot shot realtor. She has a ton of money. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about this too, because yes. this book blew. I never, I did not get this when I was 14, but at 42, I'm like, holy shit, this book is really doing a thing about women and money. Yes. Anyway, Marcy's super rich. She's very good at her job. She is trying to sell a house to a couple from Boston or whoever that's, like, relocating. Doesn't matter. So she takes them to, like, schmooze them to the the rodeo, which I imagine is what you do in Texas. So, pause. I can see Jen has something to say about the rodeo. That is what you do in Texas. Like, I moved to Houston, and, and like, the rodeo is a month-long event in Houston. It's, like, a huge deal. They canceled it back in March, like, early. It was oh, yeah. one of the first big events that got canceled, and Sophie Jordan was like, oh, my God, they canceled the rodeo. Like, this yeah, is a like, big Yeah, like, that's thing. real. I remember just being like, wow. I've never been to the rodeo, so if you are a Texan and know about the rodeo, tell us about it. Also, next time I'm in Texas, somebody take me to the rodeo is all I'm saying. I think you have to go at a certain time of year. It's March, I think. Oh, well, that would make sense. February or March, yeah. Well, it can't be February because they canceled it for COVID. Yeah, so. I think it's literally like a couple weeks in March. It's a huge deal. Well, I want to come. Invite Texas. Invite me for the rodeo. <laughs> so, anyway. They're at the rodeo, and she's smooching, smooch schmoozing her clients and ba 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 out comes a bull rider bull rider a bull rider I know our hero returned Chase and he is a fucking mess you guys he is a drunk he yep. is mean. He is a sex machine. Yeah. I mean, he's like a complete mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and there he is, not caring about his life, not caring about his body, not caring about himself, not caring about his family, not caring about anybody loving him. <gasps> this poor, poor, <laughs> poor man. And then Trump, he's like thrown off of a bull and then threatened to be gored by a by a horn. And it's page eight. And you're like, what is that? <laughs> and Marcy fucking pieces out on her rich client. She's like, bye. Yeah. To go with him to the hospital. Because he's been tranced by a bull. Uh, he's got a broken leg, and there's a rodeo clown. It's There's a lot. It's a lot. Here's what's great, though. I actually wrote this down. I never take notes. By the way, everybody, Sarah and I yeah. just roll into this, and whatever yeah, comes out of our mouth. We don't prepare in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> but listen. Like, but listen. She's like, I'm going to take you back home. And he's like, why would I do that? She's like, because I paid your hospital bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $573 and 62 cents. I was like, you so can expensive. walk through the front door of the hospital and they're going to charge you $573 and 62 cents. I was like, he stayed overnight in the hospital. It's only $573. Yeah. But you know, what's bonkers is this guy who is all of those things I enumerated before also does not have $564 to pay sure. her back. So no. he has no choice, but to like get into her like swanky, like heated seat, Sedan yes. and drive back to Tyler, Texas. Is that the name? Yeah. It's the name of the it town, is. too. Yeah. So, um, and then they get back, and his family is like, oh my God, 
you're back and you're a mess. And Lucky is basically like, well, you can pay Marcy back. So his family's just like, oh, thanks, Marcy. You're so, you're a real mensch. Yeah, what like, a champ. It's yeah. like, what a nice thing to do. And, yeah, um, thanks for bringing him home. And then Lucky says, well, you happen to have some cash to pay her back with because I sold, oh, because, wh- by the way, when the wife died on the way to see this house that she loved so much, um, Chase was like, buy the house. Like, we're buying the house. And he never lived in it, and Lucky was like, this is a real nice house, and we could sell it and make some money. So he sold the house, and that's sort of the end of the house story. (laughs) Until the end, this is why, that you asked me why. And, like, the end of this book, the conflict of this book. So then it's it's like a marriage of convenience story where Marcy is like, I'm super rich and, like, very good at my job, but I'm really bad at personal relationships, and I like to have sex, so, like... And I'm an old maid. I'm 35, and I'm an old maid. Old maid. And it's going to be better for my business if I'm married. So let's uh, let's do the business, and then we can do the business. And I'll give you money for I'll give you money to like essentially get your company going, keep your yep. company going, and we'll have this marriage of convenience. And I read this book and was like. Well, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, I had, can I tell you, I had completely forgotten that it was a marriage of convenience story. Like, completely. And, but then, and then she's like, and you can live in my house, and we'll sleep together, but we'll sleep together, like, you'll have your own room. (laughs) But we'll fuck. Uh, But we'll have sex, and he's like, great, I don't want to sleep with you anyway, because I'll only ever love my wife. I'll only ever love my wife, Yeah. Right? And so they live in this house. It's beautiful. So Marcy has this gorgeous house. You guys remember the house? She has this beautiful, beautiful house. What is this house? She's gorgeous. And every time he says, how long have you lived here? She's like, oh, a while. Yeah, a couple <laughs> years. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he finds out that she, that they are living in his wife's house. Whoa. Oh, yeah. He flips his fucking lid. <laughs> and that's the part. That's that's where, it, yeah. like, right here. It's, like, well, they're carved real- out to my, straight to my heart. Like, yeah, that, that scene. Yeah. There's the other scene for me, though, was the, the wedding night scene where he, oh, like, yeah. goes in. And he's, like, okay, I have to do my duty. She expects me to have sex. Yep. And goes in, and it is... Like, anybody who's like, yeah, I like to read bad sex in romance because I like to see that evolution. It is unreal, right? He's just like, there's no foreplay. He's just going to, like, go in and, like, literally do his duty. Right. And then hurts her. She It's painful for her, and she doesn't tell him. She refuses to allow him to know. Yeah. And then she calls him on his shit. That is the best part. The next day or, like, the next couple of days, a few days later, she's like... You like God. You're pretty bad at that. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's horrified. Yeah. Here, I here's the other thing though that it, so it's really funny because I want to talk about before we talk about the house thing. Uh, the other thing though that's really interesting is they then after that conversation she's like fine like well we're not going to have sex you just live here and I like the deal still stands and um. She then goes through a month where she's basically, like, unfailingly pleasant to him. (gasps) Like, fine. so perfect. Yes. And I will tell you right now, 
I definitely imprinted both as a reader and as a person. Yes. On the idea that you like, you don't get messy. You just keep taking care of your fucking business. Yep. I was. Uh, Me too. But there's also so much gendered shit in that. Oh. And Sandra Brown does not look away from it. Like it is. And then they go to the, the, this is the scene that I love. And I love this scene in every romance novel. I love it when a marriage of convenience or a fake marriage or a fake engagement or a fake relationship is in front of, like, has to experience the the money shot for me on all of these plots, all of these tropes, is the scene where they have to do it in front of the family. Yes. And they forget, like, they're, so they're faking it so much in front of the family that they forget how convenient it is that it's not real. And I love the fight that comes after that. Judith McNaught does this really well in her Christmas novella that I love so much. And, um, and I, but I love in this, in this book, the scene that really imprinted on me is the, like, I see you, like I was, we were at dinner, you spilled on my lap and then you, you like blotted it up with a napkin and I knew where your hand was and you knew where my hand was. And we both knew what was happening, you know, three inches above where your hand was. And like, and then it was like, I had to laugh at you and like show you that I like, and pretend that I love you because the other option was to take you against the table or whatever. (laughs) I know the drama. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Put it in her veins, everybody. I mean, put it in my veins, you guys. (laughs) So I really want to talk about like the, the work and money thing. Because there's a lot of ways in which it's, like, really fascinating. And one of them is, even though she has been, like, working hard and is so successful, the only person we really see working in this book is Chase. Like, every once in a while, she's like, yeah, I was at the office. Um, or, like, you talked to my secretary. Like, because she's already successful. True. Yeah, she's already successful. But the right. entire, like, mean, villain plot is her job. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess what I mean is, like... She's already successful. She doesn't have to be... It, it she doesn't felt, have to prove herself. Yes. And I feel like that is something we still get. Authors still routinely hear from readers. When a woman is successful on page, it's like you have to prove it. And I really liked that that was not... It didn't need to get proven. Like, does that make sense? I, I, maybe yeah. I said it wrong at the beginning. Like, yeah. she works, but it's never... He is the one who we see striving well, in part, right. that's because heroes have to be kings, right? Yes. Now, what I want to say is that aside from... So, the money thing is real here. She mm-hmm. is the rich one. He is not... He is poor. Like, right. or... I mean, like, poor. He's like... He owns a business, but the business is failing. And they are yeah. in debt, and they need money to survive. Yeah. And it, the money that he it's really an old historical plot, right? It's yeah. I have to get married and get a dowry. Your dowry, right. Right. Um, and so when it happens, there is a real like they have a back and forth for several I mean, like it goes it goes for chapters, this like kind of or there's a sort of larger theme between them a, a a conflict between them about Marcy's money and how yeah. Marcy is the reason like 
he goes to Lucky and he's like, she's offering me money for marriage. Like, I feel like a gigolo. And and Lucky's like, at first Lucky's like, well, you can't do that. Like, you can't marry her for money. And then he's like, but wait a second. Like, we kind of need this money. Like, yeah. So the the power, the way power plays out as money, Mm -hmm. um, in in terms of like the heroine making more money, the woman in the relationship being the one who's comfortable with money, it's really interesting. So that kind of blew my mind when I did the reread, and then I reread Another Dawn, which is a historical, and the hero. There's a similar play in that book too, where the heroine owns the ranch, mm. and the hero is hired by her father as her like ranch manager. Her factotum. Her factotum. Thank you. (laughs) So, like, so there is what's really interesting is, like, it's another example of, like, the heroine being strong enough and, like, it goes it, in another dawn. There's there's a kind of over and over motif of like the heroine being able to be a woman and run a ranch if she wants to, right? But she has this, you know, the hero is her is her ranch manager to the point where she names the ranch Plum Creek, and there's this whole discussion, like an, a running joke in it that's like that's such a girly name for a ranch, yeah. And she's like, fuck you, that's the name of the ranch. And that's then at the, the end, his, like, gift to her, her, his wedding night gift to her is the sign, mm-hmm. a, like a sign that says Plum Creek Ranch. Like, he has sort of allowed her femininity to, like, win the day. Win him. You know, I want to talk about the house plot for a minute because one of the things that I found really fascinating as I reread this was, so basically the way it works out is, uh, you know, the wife dies, Chase is like, just buy that house, I want it. The Marcy approaches Lucky and says, I have a buyer for the house and doesn't say it's her, right? Mm-hmm. So then, you know, he figures out that they're, like, living in his ex, you know, his, like, wife's dream house. And 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 there's this real interesting kind of, the thing that didn't work for me as well as a modern reader was this, like, I Marcy's, like, kind of embedded guilt, like, I ruined your life, so I wanted to give it to you. Right, I wanted to, like, resurrect this man. I don't think that's a modern reader. I think it's actually a misstep. Yeah, okay, maybe. I think it... It's one of those moments where it's like somebody somebody at some point was like, well, what's the motivation? Yeah. And, like, and so she had to lay it in there, maybe. The motivation in here is totally unrequited love. Yeah, she just loved him. Yeah. She's always had a thing for him. Like, she's always wanted to be Mrs. Chase. But... The reality is that, like, that's kind of an unpleasant... Like, I see the... I, as a writer, I see the push-pull in this book in a different way because, like, that's a real tricky line to walk when she's also killed, like, the the instrument of the death of the wife, right? Like, it's... It's interesting that we're... I'm glad we're talking about it because I was like, the, the book in a lot of ways still works kind mm-hmm. of fundamentally at a plot level, but that motivation always felt a little, like, off. Like, not, yeah. it just didn't quite, like, like click in. Here's the part, though, that is interesting. In a recent Tessa Bailey book, um, Love Her, Lose Her, there's a whole plot about a house and how I really wanted his wife to have this house. Yeah. And it really worked for me. I was like, yeah, sure, secret house, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it was Kate who was like, what was up with the secret house? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. The secret house was fine. I did not blink at the secret house. And rereading this book, I I realized why, right? Because it's right there. It's in your core. 
Sure. Maybe Tessa Bailey was a Sandra Brown fan. I would love to know. You know, can we talk about the um, villain plot, too? Yes. Um, because, so here's the deal on the villain. So, okay, aside from all this other banana shit going on, you guys, <laughs> because it's a Sandra Brown novel, so, like, everything has to be in there. And, you know, and it works. Like, it is not an, a kitchen sink book. Like, you're not like, oh, and now this. Like, right. it's just all working at the same time. So, turns out Marcy... Um, has been receiving uh, sex calls. Like, she has, like, a stalker who is calling her and, like, heavy breathing and, like, saying dirty stuff to her on the phone. Um, Which, at one point, I mean, I also want to talk about language in this book and how it really does feel like you're reading, like, an ancient text. Because um, there are just, like, there there are lines in this. Like, at one point, Chase thinks of these calls as telephone pornography. Oh, yeah. So weird, right? in his own head. And you're like, wait, who talks like this? But, like, it feels very of a time. Like, it doesn't—it certainly would never have clicked—like, it would never have been a problem for me reading it in 1991. Sure. Um, The first romance I ever read, Pink Satin by Gina Grant, had a—she has a a phone stalker. stalker. What did we call that? There used to be a name for that. I'm like, don't know what it, it is anymore. Okay, I don't know. Whatever. But so, um, so she gets these dirty calls, right? And so at first she's like, I don't, I'm not going to worry about them. And then she's getting them and they're really stressing her out. Like sometimes she gets three, four, five in a day and she takes her phone off the hook and like she's clearly stressed about it. And Chase is like aware of how upsetting they are to her. And one time he like the caller calls and he answers the phone or and he gets hold of the phone, but like the caller is already hung up. And then there's a plot twist that is really unpleasant. And that is that it becomes possible, like, all we know, the reader knows, Marcy's telling the truth. These calls exist. Yes. Um, And they are making her incredibly anxious. But there's, like, a family friend who's the sheriff or the police, you know, whatever, the police chief, the sheriff. And he's like, hey, are you sure that she's not lying to you? Yeah, are you sure? It was really... So unpleasant to read. And... Also, like, so powerful for me on the reread. Yeah. This sense that, like, women are never believed. Yeah. We know from the jump that Marcy's telling the truth. And, like, and then Chase in the moment is like, no, I believe her. And then he's like, wait. But then, well, then the police, then, so the sheriff says, are you sure she's not telling the truth? And Chase says, I believe her. And then Lucky is like, are you sure she's not telling? Are you sure? Are you sure she's telling the truth? And then, like, the mom, like, everybody's kind of, like, quietly, like, "Mm, are you sure? And all those people then seed the doubt in Chase that Marcy's been lying. And it is really painful. Like, it's such a betrayal, and it's one of those things that, like, it felt, it feels so light touch, right, in the in this book. Like, it doesn't feel heavy-handed that, like, nobody believes her anymore. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't get frustrated about it. Like, it's never, it's just, it's written into this book as, like, this is just how the world treats women. It's, like, 80s rape culture right there on page, yeah. When it, 
resolves and it's clear that she has not been lying and like the villain is on the page and she is under threat and Chase is driving his car like crazy through the town looking for to the get her to save her like, yeah. to save her life even then he's never like overtly like I'm sorry I didn't believe you yes that's exactly right it's just like and it feels like Fuck you, 1991. Fuck you, 2020. Like, it feels real. Like, it feels like, fuck you guys for not believing women. (sighs) Sandra Brown, you're a queen. So, a quick segue to Sonny Chandler's return, which was a book I really loved, has, like, iterations of both of those plots. And... Um, this was a, I think a 1985 or 1987 love swept. Mm-hmm. Um, I vividly remember the cover because she wears this like very eighties, like handkerchief, tr- like, like handkerchief, um, like hem dress. And, I'm you know, it she, up as we go. she, um, come, she is, grew up in this small town. She essentially walks away from her groom at the altar. Nice. And why pieces out to New Orleans. Nobody knows. This is the mystery of the book. She has never Ooh, told anyone. Is she Sonny Chandler? She is Sonny Chandler. Okay. But her best friend is getting married. And so she rolls back into town. And the local sheriff, um, Ty Beaumont, I think is his name. And he's like Just a jerk. The most Texas names. Totally. Of course, it's Louisiana, though. Uh, um, well, same. So he, Louisiana exclamation point is just already too many syllables. Um, <laughs> so, and actually the other thing that was really pretty cool actually about this book is um, my husband's family and one of my really good friends from college family are, are from this part of Louisiana. Oh, nice. And so at some point I'm sure I, I reread it and I was like, oh, it's cool. But anyway, there's two big things that are sort of happening. She has a business as a fashion designer of like Mardi Gras costumes. This is like a really big business and she does it. And she is looking What a cool to to, job. Yeah, it's super cool. And oh, she, this is the heyday of women with jobs too. Yes. Like really interesting, they cool all jobs. have cool jobs. So here's the thing. Thing, though she goes to the local bank to get a loan to open her own business she's been working for someone else and the local bank officer is like i'm probably not going to do that because how do i know you're not just going to like walk away from it like you did your wedding <gasps> it is no. that right that entrenched like hardcore sexism of you as a, in your personal life are imperfect and therefore yeah. cannot run your own Wait, business. So uh, why did she walk away? Okay. She found him with her maid of honor the morning of the sure. wedding in bed together, of course. Right. Sure. All right. And, and part of me though, here's the thing I really remember. And this, I don't know why this book brought it back is my mom was one of the only moms in the neighborhood who worked. And, This book really brought back for me something about how working women in the 80s, like, it happened, but if you wanted to work, there was something a little suspicious about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it was really fascinating. And now... The, I well, I this have, is also internalized misogyny at work. Like yes, these, like this perception. Like again, this is why I'm constantly beating the drum of these early books were doing a thing mm-hmm. for. And now, granted, they were doing like a second wave thing. 
right? Yeah, a first, second right. wave feminist thing. Like, there's not a whole lot of intersectionality going on here. No. But the, the reality is that, like, they were doing this second wave th- feminism thing in such a powerful, powerful way because they were acknowledging, they were normalizing work. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Like women and, and working, women making a lot of money, women being primary yes. breadwinners, women women supporting men. And like also you can't get away from the idea that Sandra Brown is a fucking superstar. She was yes. for sure making more money than her husband. I don't know if she's yeah. married even, but like what whoever like frankly right now, unless Sandra Brown is married to James Patterson, I'm pretty sure she isn't. She makes yeah. more money than her husband. Yeah. Like so she's been married for the, to the same guy for a long time. And I know this because someone shared this really amazing story of her house being blown up for an episode of Texas Walker Ranger. Yes! Texas, Texas, that, Walker, yeah. Texas Te- Walker, Texas Ranger. Walker, Texas Ranger. This is amazing. P.S. Like, what a queen. She's like, oh, you want a house to blow up? Yeah, use mine. <laughs> I know. And she's like, I mean, so it's really like this book, though. So anyway, the, the whole plot is of the book is sort of everyone in town thinks she's this like ding dong who just like ran out on her marriage. And she essentially protected this ex-husband, not ex-fiance and her best friend and was like, I'm just not going to tell people. Did they end and- together? Yeah, they're miserable, of course. And she really <laughs> has to, like, have this come-to-Jesus meeting with this Don, was his name, because it was the 80s, mm-hmm. where she had kind of, like, thought she was still in love with him. And Ty's like, you're not still in love with this idiot. And it's really fascinating in some ways. I Like, I wouldn't recommend it because Ty is such a misogynist, but he, at the same time, is outraged by the behavior of yeah. the bank manager and... Yeah. And sort of like I just wanted to get in bed with you, and they there's a sex deal. He like makes it with his best friend. Like I'm gonna get oh, her new bed in a deal. week, but he tells her about it immediately. He's like, yeah, I bet somebody I could get you in like bed. That. And it's, I like it's that. Real. It was fascinating. You also, know, these heroes are so big. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're so they're like larger than life. They're Texas exclamation point Louisiana exclamation point. Sorry, I cut you off, though, to say no, that. No, no, I was just going to say, I think the part that was is fascinating, though, is that, like, okay, these guys are jerks, but, like, these, the heroines do not put up with it. No. Right? And that's the part where she's like, I'm not putting up with your bullshit. And when she figures out that, like, the deal was still on the morning after, um, she finds, like, a, a case of wild turkey on the fucking porch. She's so furious. She's like, I thought he was kind of joking. And there it really is that she essentially throws the bottles against the house and just smashes one after the other. And he wakes up and he's like, what's going on? She's like, you're an asshole. And he's like, ah, don't be that way. I told you about it. Let's go back to bed. <laughs> Well, so here's the crazy thing, right? Like, we talk about Texas. The way we talk about Texas in 2020 is very different than, like, there's something. Yes. All the heroes, like, do have, they have that sort of seed of misogyny that comes from uh, the 80s and 90s romance, right? 70s, 80s, and 90s in romance. Um, And, like, we've talked a lot about why I personally believe, like, misogyny has a role in the hero arc for, in these early, in these early books. Um, But, like, also, Texas is, like, all these heroines are basically Ann Richards, right? Like, Texas, Mm -hmm. one of the things that a lot of people don't know about Texas, like, a lot of people in 2020 don't know about Texas, is that the 44th, the 45th governor of Texas was a Democrat named Ann Richards, whose daughter, Cecily Richards was the head of Planned Parenthood until like last year. So like, and she was 
killer. Like, she was amazing. And when you talk to Texans about Ann Richards, they all, like, when you talk about te- to Texan women about Ann Richards, they all love her. And their dads and their husbands, like, people, like, men in Texas loved Ann Richards because she was, like, a straight shooter and she hunted and she was, like, you know. And that I feel like that she had that sort of, like, she's sort of Texas royalty and all these heroines have that kind of Ann Richards-y feel to them. Yeah. Also, she's worth sort of just knowing about in general because she's like, she's like a lion. So all of that aside, I just want, I know we're like, we we said we would talk to Sandra Brown for, so yeah. we're, it's going to go over. It's but fun. like Another Dawn, this Western, and I think it's the only historical, you haven't read a historical, right? I didn't read a historical, no. So can I tell you the plot of Another Dawn? <laughs> Only if after I get to tell you the plot of Slow Heat in Heaven. So. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, well, Slow Heat in Heaven, fun fact, I think is the first, and I will confirm this and we'll put it in show notes, but I believe Slow Heat in Heaven was the first, like, breakout contemporary romance. Like, it was the romance It that, was a big deal. That, like, crossed into a new genre. Like, and basically mm-hmm. other people started reading romance when Slow Heat in Heaven came out, and then pretty soon after... Sandra Brown jumped ship yeah, to, and went straight. to be a thriller writer, a mystery writer. Anyway, so Another Dawn is the second book in a in the Coleman Family Saga series. And um the first book is Ross and Lydia, who are married, and they have a daughter, Banner. And Banner Coleman is the heroine of Another Dawn. And this is like a homesteader book. Like, there's like a wagon train in the first one. So, Ross and Lydia in the first book have a um, friend, a very good friend, Jake uh, Langston, who always had kind of a thing for Lydia. And Lydia ended up with Ross. Is this like a DILF? This is like... Yeah, daddy's best friend. Okay. I was like, wait, did I get that I mean, so, like, frankly, everything old is new again. Like, nothing is new in romance. Like, if you're writing daddy romances, Sandra Brown was there long before you. (laughs) Anyway, so Lydia and Ross fall in love. Ross's best friend is Jake. Um, Jake has always had, like, kind of a torch for Lydia. And then Lydia and Ross have a baby, Banner, Mm -hmm. who, when she's, like, 19 in Another Dawn, is getting married. And... She, their wedding, she gets down the aisle to her, like, terrible groom, and in comes a, like, poor, like, from the other side of the tracks, except there are no tracks in whatever year this is, dad, (laughs) who shows up with, like, a heavily pregnant girl and is, like, the baby in my daughter's belly is there because of your groom. There's a whole brawl. It's like old school <laughs> Wild West brawl. Um, there's a shotgun wedding. The wedding becomes the wedding of these two, the pregnant girl oh, yeah. and the groom. And the, right. Um, and then, and I will say, like, there are, when we talk about problems, the biggest problem in this book is, like, the way other women besides Lydia and Banner are treated. Like, this girl is called a slut. Like, everybody talk, like, they use that word. They're, they talk about the fact that she's, like, slept around and she's super easy. And then there's a prostitute who's the villain of this book, mm-hmm. um, who sort of orchestrates. She's, and she's, like, both likable and unlikable in the sense that, like, she, it certainly orchestrates a lot of terrible things for the hero and heroine, but also, like, you kind of, 
admire her power. You know, like the way she sort of uses her her body mm-hmm. and her skills to get what she needs from the male villains of the play who are all kind of dinglings. <laughs> I mean, I do love that Sandra Brown writes the dingling. Like all oh, of the yeah. men are like kind of dim. Yeah, <laughs> and all right. the all the her- all the women, you know, villains or heroines are just smarter than all the other yeah. men, all the men on the page. Anyway. So, um, Banner goes home on her wedding night on page four and says, like, I should have known the love of a man tonight. I'm going to find Jake, who traveled back to our town. Jake. So, after Ross and Lydia get married, he pieces out, in mm. part because he's always had a thing for Lydia. Of course. Um, but now he's back uh, for the wedding. So he's there for the wedding. He's sleeping in the barn. She goes into the barn. <laughs> She's like, I'm a woman. I'm sure I've read this. I know I have. He's like, I remember you in pigtails. We're not doing this. And she's like, do you remember yeah, we me are. naked? And, <laughs> and he's like, woof. And then they bone in the barn. And it's yeah. not great. And then, um, oh, God, they've done it. But so you would think, like, I was, on the reread, I was like, oh, well, so it's going to be another shotgun wedding. Like, they're going to get married on the next page. Would you believe, Jennifer, that they don't get married for 400 pages? Oh, sure. And they're just like, he's like, we're never doing this again. We're never doing this again. Yeah. And then there's, like, a B-plot line with the owner of the brothel who's trying to, I don't even know what, punish him because he won't have sex with her anymore. And then there's, like, her, and then her ex fiance <laughs> kills he sets a fire and kills his wife and her father and their un, and their child on the what? day that the child is born and then returns to banner to try and win her back and then sure. like somehow falls in with the prostitute again there is a lot going on in this book and then ross and lydia are like falling in love and like loving each other and having lots of sex in the background cuz they own the they own the ranch across the way. They've given Banner a timber ranch. like, um, And so, and then Ross said, Jake, I really need you to take care of this timber ranch because my I have a daughter and I no longer have a son-in-law. And, and Jake is like, well, okay, I guess I'll live over there with this woman I boned in the barn and we will not touch ever again. <laughs> and they kind of don't touch for a long time. <laughs> but then they like, then she has appendicitis. <laughs> And then here it is, you guys. Here it is. He goes into town to get the doctor who says, I don't believe in cutting people open like the human body is sacred. Yeah. And he's like, fuck that. If she dies, you die. There it is. And Sarah's like, there's baby Sarah, like, learning. And then in, and then Kate Claymore will love this. It's like a sick, then it turns into a sick bed romance where like she's had her appendix removed and then there he's like giving her bed washing and then like suddenly she's healed and then they're they have no choice they are so into each other they have to fuck but then (laughs) so then you're like okay here we are finally they're in love they're getting married he's got a special license which i don't think was a thing in the old west but whatever who cares and he's like they get a preacher they get married they're Oh, by the way, part of the reason why the doctor didn't want to do the appendix, the append, appendectomy is because she also is pregnant from the first sure. night in the barn, obviously. Of course. Of so, course, obviously. I mean, clearly. But he doesn't tell her that. 
he's like, fine. So we are not going to know that. It's not important for you to know. No. Sandra Brown is like, for romance reasons, it's not important that she know this right now. Yeah. So <laughs> fine. And then she gets, so she gets better and they're happy and they're having lots of sex. And he's always naked, like just wandering around naked in this house. And then the river washes out. And then the appendicitis is fine. But then in come the villains and they shoot her dad. Oh, Jesus. Ross from the prior book. <laughs> And he dies. What? And you're like, wait a second, Santa Brown. You just killed a hero. And then here we are. Like, I'm, I've am i got, like, four pages left of the book, right? Yeah, So right. the hero's like, the, the hero from the last book is dead. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. And Banner's like, well, now that the hero from, now that my dad's dead, you can have my mom. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? Because this whole time, for 400 pages, Banner has been convinced that Jake was in love with Lydia, and he just won. And so he was, like, with her as, like, a placeholder because he couldn't have Lydia because Lydia was married to his best friend. But now his best friend is dead. And, oh, my God. But he's married to Banner, and they've consummated it, and there's a child on the way. And she's like, no, I can take care of myself and my ranch and my child. Go be with my mom if you want. (laughs) You know what I would – you know what I want – I want you to have a secret camera on Eric's face when he listens to the plot of this book because I honestly I I'm gonna top it, Sarah. Because I read I read Slow Heat in Heaven. I did not reread it all. Oh my god. You guys Santa Brown is a queen. You know what? Don't be afraid of plot, I think is what I'm trying to tell you, everybody. If there is a <laughs> I mean, just a little, I gotta don't be say, afraid of plot. I will say this. At one point, I was like, what the hell is happening? But I, I mean, I tore through this. I mean, sure, like, of course. the pages, they were smoking. I was turning them so fast. <laughs> so nutso. Go on. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know if I have words. So... <laughs> Slow heat in heaven. <laughs> Paint a picture for us, Jennifer. I, I'm. It's. I'm gonna tell you. I. Ooh, okay. So I. Re, I remember reading this book, and I remember it being it like. I remember it being like an event book, if that makes sense, right? In this, in the, in the mm-hmm. way that like everybody was reading it, or it, I could even tell that it was a departure for this author. It was a big book. It wasn't a category romance, right? And what happens is, um, <clears throat> the. The hero is Cash Boudreaux. Yes, it is. Right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> of course it is. And the heroine, um, essentially, I think also, God, nobody loves a fucking marriage and a broken marriage, a, a like disrupted at the altar like Sandra Brown, because I'm pretty sure actually that it has a, like a very similar plot, which is, yeah. it, oh, it wasn't a wedding. It was the engagement party. And well, so, you know, can I just interrupt for one second? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, talk about somebody who knows exactly where to start a book, right? Yes. Like that is a really smart, I mean, it's just a good way to start a book, runaway bride or like yes. the breaking up of a marriage. Like it's such a, it's a right. flashpoint. 
Yeah. So the heroine's name is Skylar Crandall, and she and her sister were both adopted and live, um, I don't know if the word plantation was used, but it's a fucking plantation um, in Louisiana called Beltaire. Oh, maybe this is the one that takes place near Lafayette, which is where I have all this family. And, and anyway, um, she, it's had essentially uh, her at her engage what was supposed to be her engagement party four years earlier, her shitty evil sister essentially announces that she is pregnant with the the fiance's baby. So Skylar takes off and goes to live in London for a couple years. Yeah. And the, her sister marries this man and but now their father is had a heart attack and he's ill and she comes home and she's gonna save the company and save the house and hook up with cash. Okay. Sure. Now here's the thing there's a lot of problematic I'm, I'm not going to recommend anybody read this, but I'm going to talk about rule breaking because we know instantaneously that Cash is her hero, right? He has sex on page with another woman pretty early in the book, right? Like he is, and it's, I and I, I reread it and was like, you know, it's such a like unwritten rule. Maybe it's not unwritten. It's like a rule of romance, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like, like once, yeah, once, well, once you meet, they've met, yeah, once they've met. We can't have them having sex on page. Uh, we Certainly not on page, right, with other people. And then what happens is the bad guy in the parish is a, is a white man, but his nickname is Jigger. I don't like and it. I don't like it either. But So I'm not going to talk anything about that because I think it speaks for itself. And whew, uh, But... She's attacked one night. He runs like a dog fighting ring and she's attacked one night in the woods by one of his dogs. And she is like really convinced that these dogs are essentially a menace to the entire town. But everybody in the town makes money off these dog fights the or heroine. knows that they're going on. The heroine, right? So in this book, the heroine sneaks onto the bad guy's property and shoots his dogs. Oh! On. Page Santa Brown, <laughs> the heroine is essentially wow. animal control for the parish. That's and, amazing. Uh, it is honestly, I've I and I was and I stopped reading pretty quickly after that. Like I, I don't. I don't think I read much more because I was now, mostly this is I was like, the opposite of that other book we talked about where there is a dog fighting ring and the hero and there's a secondary love story between the dogs. this is like a whole different way of attacking the dog fighting no and i was like first of all i was like i remember none of this like the killing the dogs right no none of it but also just thinking to herself like it's really a marker of her independence right but it also felt um it really felt like uh, Sandra Brown is announcing to her readers in multiple ways that this, although there might be a romance in this book, it is yeah, not I'm the kind of romance that you're here for, right? I, my game is different now. And, I, and like I said, I didn't really read much further, but I was really almost completely astounded by, yeah. you know, so that you have like the family plot and the drama and they're going to try and save the business. And, you know, I, I mean, I remember those books. I can remember buying Slow Heat in Heaven, like going to the Walden Books or whatever Mm -hmm. in the mall and buying Slow Heat in Heaven because it was like the book. You know what's interesting? Yeah, it was 1988, though. This is pre Texas Chase. So I was 10. (laughs) 
Yeah, why I was, was my mom buying me slow eating? <laughs> yeah, well, because um, so well, I can remember that, or maybe it was after. It must have been after because yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Point is, sure. I can remember buying it, and I can remember her and Stella Cameron. Do you remember Stella Cameron? Yes, I can remember. Stella Cameron and Sandra Brown, right at the same time, were both writing this sort of, like, big, um, like, sagas. Yes. It's a saga. It was, it's, like, a, it was like, like a play on toward Danielle yes. Steele. Like, yes. Me, like, there was a clear run toward that for a lot of these contemporary writers who were, like, trying to fit. And I get it. Like, women who had been writing for a long time in a genre that is that was fully not respected, but who were good storytellers and good writers yeah. trying to figure out a way, a path toward, you know, recognition, money. Yeah. It also felt very much to me like reading, like, a season of... Dallas or Dynasty on page. Like, this was also, like, the real height of, like, sort of, um, like, the soapy late night, like, you know, mm-hmm. 9 oh, or 10 yeah, p.m. Like drama, Falcon's right? Crest. Falcon Crest, and, right? And it also, that's kind of the other way, as I was reading it, I was like, this is the pacing of it of slow heat in heaven even felt that way. Like, it's like, okay, now we're going to introduce this couple and now we're going to introduce this bad guy. And now we're going to introduce the dogs, right? And I'm pretty sure that even as the book continues, that continues to roll out. But um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't interested in, it felt like the problematic elements I couldn't like, and that's the case always when you go back to the archives, right? Sometimes you can just be like, I loved it and I can get past it. Sometimes you're like, I can see what it's doing and it's really interesting to me. And in this Mm -hmm. case, I was like, once she had killed the dogs, I was like, I think I'm done. And I'm not even a dog person, but it was a lot. Well, it's interesting because that's the rule, right? Like everybody, Stephen King talks about the fact that he gets the most, I think it's the dead zone that begins with the villain kicking a dog to death in the doorway of a building. And he talks all the time about the fact that he gets the most hate mail from readers about that. Yeah, seen in that book, and like how many people? Like, what is the body count for Stephen King? A lot, very high, yeah. and like, yeah, it's that dog. And I remember um, when I was writing uh, Brazen, I was writing no, maybe Wallflower. I can't remember. I was writing something, and there was like a possibility of me killing um, a young person, like a seventeen-year-old. Yeah. Um, like as a body count. And I remember texting my editor and being like, what if, like, if I do that, like, what if I kill this? Like, what if this person dies? And she was like, you may not kill a child. You may not kill a dog. Yeah. Like, and that was like, but that's the part about the, the scene. I mean, I will be honest reading it now. It felt more like a shot across the bow than a real, like necessary part of the plot. Like, she's announcing something to the readers about what she's doing versus... And that's okay, like, right? But it just, many years later, didn't really work in the way some of these older older plot points worked better, right? The secret house worked better for me than the, you know, the guy with the dog ring. Before yeah. we go, though, I really want to talk about the some of the sex stuff. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about breastfeeding? Uh, yes. And yes. <laughs> we can. Because, oh, oh, because there's, like... 
in both of these books, there's a moment where the hero thinks to himself, like, oh, I can't wait to either watch you breastfeed my kid or to taste your breast milk. Yes, I think Sonny Ty Beaumont's like, one day I'll taste your milk. Whoa. And... Um, so heads up Clayton from Learning the Tropes. The, the, here are some books for you, because I know that <laughs> this is a thing that you're interested in. I mean, I don't know if it's personal, but it, I know you like it in books. Um, so, But the Coleman Family Saga, book one, uh, the plot of I have not read book one, but I'm going to get it because the plot sounds even wilder. Yeah. Um, but Ross and Lydia meet when her, she has a baby, like a stillborn child in the woods and then like comes out of the woods. She's a wet nurse, right? And yeah, have you read this? I just and she came becomes back to a me. wet nurse on the wagon train. And I'm like, oh, for sure there's breast milk stuff in that. Yeah. Oh, shit. I literally, Sarah, it literally was like, whoosh, all the way right back to my brain. No, he says, right? He says, someday I'll taste your milk in Sunny Chandler's return. Here's the other thing I discovered in Sunny Chandler's return, which I'm pretty sure I sent to you as a screenshot. It's really interesting to me that no matter the age of the heroine, it's either virgin or divorcee or, like, widow, right? Like, they cannot be... Mm-hmm. It's like if they had to be married if they weren't going to be a virgin. And so even though Sunny is 29, it turns out she's a virgin, right? And so they have sex, and he—it's great, of course, right? And he says to her—or no, she says to him the next day, um, you shouldn't have put your—you shouldn't have done what you did either. And he says, putting my finger there? <gasps> She blushed. Pegging cabal. Pay attention. Right? She blushed. I went a little mad, didn't I? And I was like, okay, I don't know, honestly, what younger me, where he thought, where I thought he put his finger. There's really no other way to read it than he, like, put it on her ass. And she is, like, she loved it. And he says it was beautiful. And I was like, wow, that was I, you know, I sometimes no. think about the first time I vividly remember there being, like, butt stuff in a book. You didn't know that. No, I had no idea. No. No idea. But there it is. Um, can we talk about the fact that um, she also really likes it when heroes have not ever gone down on a woman before? Yes. And, like, that's a sign of true love. Like, which yes. I kind of love because now, of course, <laughs> anal is, like, the sign of true love in contemporaries. Like, where it's like, right. I've never done that before, but I'll do it with you. Sure. Um, no. Conolingus is absolutely, like, when a hero goes down on a heroine in a Sandra Brown novel, it's because he loves her. Yeah. And he's never done it before. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It was all honestly. I love it. I will say something else. Like, Sandra Brown is kinky in yeah. um, this Silhouette Intimate Moments book that I'm, like, em embarrassed to say was one of my favorites because it's real, real problematic. The hero just licks the heroine's face all over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which feels like a lot. But yeah. I'm for it in the sense that, like, I just feel like she's doing so much in these books. Yeah. And so, like, there is a reason why Sandra Brown is the, like, queen. Like, has like was there at the beginning and is still. Also, can I tell a personal story? Sure. So, when I wrote Nine Rules to Break When Romancing the Rake, my first romance novel, um, it was out. It came out and Goodreads existed. And I did not know then that you should never read Goodreads reviews. Mm -hmm. um, and so... 
I went on Goodreads to check the reviews for Nine Rules to Break, and there was a five-star review of Nine Rules from Sandra Brown. Oh, man. And I was like, what? And I cried, and I screenshotted it, and I just held it close to my chest because I don't have, I didn't at the time have any friends who were romance readers. Wow. And I just was so, like, so it is still, like, one of my most proud moments knowing, because we did not, like... I don't, I don't think, I don't think my, I don't know how she got it, but like, it was not for a blurb. It was just like, she happened upon it and read it. And wow. So thank you, Sandra Brown, if you're listening. Have I told that story here? No, that's amazing. I love that story. Nice. Um, in my favorite real problematic one at the end, she's like in her car and I'm going to drive away and he chases her down on his horse. Yes. And sweeps her off her feet and says, Wait, you will not leave me. her off her feet out of the car? Oh, you know, I think she was standing by the car. She was, like, saying goodbye to the horse. She's going to drive away. And he, like, literally, saying like. goodbye to the horse. I know. It's so amazing. Thunders up to her, sweeps her off her feet. Oh and it's God. just like, you will not leave me, wife. You will not leave me. And I was like. <laughs> I want it so much. And why are you a sheep? I'm so embarrassed by so much, but it's true. <laughs> <Not too much>. <laughs> <laughs> it was honestly like the uh, greatest reading Sandra experience Brown. of my life. So Sandra uh, Brown, thank you. No, I mean, truly like Sandra, like we wouldn't, you and I would not be doing this without Sandra Brown. We just wouldn't. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And so, I mean, like, forever, like, I, she is the person, I think you asked, like, somebody asked in one of our AMAs, like, who would you love to meet? And, like, truly, I think Sandra Brown is my person. I would, I would be an idiot. And I don't know if I ever will. Like, I, she doesn't come to romance stuff. Like, she doesn't, but Sandra Brown, I love you and just thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, uh, wrap it up. So... What do we have to say? Uh, oh my God. Welcome everybody to Faded Mates.
for a job out of college and the lovely lady who ran it most of the time realized I didn't have a book and just said, oh, here, I just finished this one. So I got back in and dove in head first. The thing that really made me call you guys about it is like, yeah, she has these, Elizabeth will write these great heroines that have lives and jobs and careers and they don't need anything, but then somehow this guy just shows up and magic happens. And sometimes they are just absolutely bananas. The one that probably stands out the most to me is Eden uh, Brightly Burn, Eden Burning, the one with the volcanologist and the sketch artist, and it was just all kinds of insane different ways, things like I got mad at the heroes so many times that like after rereading it, I tossed my Kindle across the room and then went and picked it back up and made sure it worked. Um, and she just has no fear about tackling some crazy topics from jewelry making and gems uh, to artistry and volcanology and then the 2018 scare of the Mayan calendar and just everything goes everywhere. So yeah, I guess that's the book that brought me back. Thank you so much for everything you guys do.